Hello humans, this is Brandon with episode 49 of Not A Robot Podcast's DC Comics Review Show, the world's greatest podcast about the world's greatest heroes. They keep coming back, so I'll introduce them. As always, I've got my amazing co-host here with me, Rob. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Always good advice. And Josh. Hello humans. This week, we'll be covering Infinite Frontier, Secret Files, number six, Catwoman Annual, number one, Teen Titans Academy Yearbook, number one, and the Green Arrow 80th Anniversary, 100-page, super special, spectacular, number one. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month, and thank you listeners, too. Like, download, and share our episodes so we get more listeners and can bring you more content. You can access our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast shows at notarobotpodcast.com. But before we get into our books for this week, what's new with you guys? Oh, not a whole lot, man. I've just been chilling out at the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, buses suck. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that uh, Bruno Redondo has redesigned Batgirl's costume, and it looks like a tactical version of her Burnside costume. Very cool. I like it. I think it looks interesting. I wasn't a big fan of her Burnside costume because I thought it was too, like, store-bought for somebody that's been being a superhero for so many years. But mm. this new one looks interesting. Yeah, I think so, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, uh, I think it's a good redesign. I, uh, other than that, man, I haven't had a chance to haven't had a chance to check any news this week. I've been a little late up, so... Any? Are you guys aware of anything going on newsworthy in in the comic world? I did see today, or I think we posted yesterday. We got our first look at interior art for Superman and the Authority, and as expected, it looks gorgeous. Oh yeah, I haven't uh, checked that out, but I'm definitely pretty excited for it. So, oh, remind yeah. me who's drawing that? Mikhail Yanin. Ooh, my yeah. goodness, it's gonna be good. Yeah, oh, yeah. he is awesome. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. Oh, I do have one bit of news. One thing. We had some really kick-ass episodes celebrating Pride Month. And it turns out that people like that. And uh, we've been getting contacted for more reviews from our Pride Network here. So that's going to happen later on. Keep an eye out for that. We'll announce it ahead of time. But um, because of the Pride thing... Uh, my wife was on both shows, DC and Marvel. Uh, they were great shows, like I said, but I'm mad at them. Uh, up until now, my wife has been exclusively DC, mostly Sandman universe oh, comic yeah. reader. Mm-hmm. And she came out and she goes, Gulp. <laughs> I think I kind of like Marvel. <laughs> I said, like, get out of my room. <laughs> and, and get defense, out of my room. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a DC fan of her life, but the Marvel Pride book was just much better laid out. It had more information, and the stories were a bit more fun. <laughs> so I kind of don't <laughs> yeah. blame her. Yeah. I, uh, I know that there's a disturbance in the force. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was one more thing, and it's kind of spoilery but we there there was a leak for the flash movie coming out i think next year and it just kind of blew up on the internet a couple of days ago and we got some shots at uh 
behind the scenes like concept art and behind the scenes shots but it was laid out like it was like a featurette or a trailer or something so it's kind of weird that it was a leak i don't know there, there's a lot of characters that we had like there was there was shots of characters that were even just covered up because even the leakers didn't want us to see it yet mm-hmm. so there's going to be some exciting shit happening in this very video. cool oh yeah i'm holding my i'm holding out hope that ben affleck shows up in the movie I, and uh, I mean, we know Michael Keaton is, and from what I understand, he's got multi-picture deals going on as Batman. That's that's what's being said, yeah. But then there was there was a whole bunch of discussion of if he was actually considering it or not, because he's getting on in years. Yeah, you just, you, it, it's kind of back and forth. I don't know. Mm. Ben I Affleck is heavily rumored, though. Yeah, I, I I do hope he's in there. I'll be yeah. disappointed if he's not. But I guess that's about it for news, huh? Yeah, that's uh sounds like that's it. I'm up books then? Yeah, let's let's get into the books for this week. Brandon, you sound you sound tired as hell, man. What's really? Oh yeah. No, I'm I'm good. I just um <laughs> this is embarrassing. Um yesterday was my birthday. So Oh happy birthday, thank man. You. Birthday. Yeah. Um so a couple oh, of friends and I were um shall shall I say partaking in some fun activities so i'm a little i'm a little tired um but <laughs> right. I'll, I'll soldier on as is to happen man. yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway uh let's get into our books for this week so first up we have infinite frontier secret files number six this was a story from joshua williamson and dan waters with a script by dan waters art from christopher Minton. Colors from Dave Stewart, letters from Tom Napolitano. So Director Bones is listening to his last tape, which just begins with a horrible screeching noise. We follow up with a tale about a man seeking out the Psycho Pirate for advice and power. The Psycho Pirate asks him some riddles three, and the man is able to answer two out of three, which isn't bad, before screwing up the last answer by monologuing. The Psycho Pirate calls him out on it, and completely shatters his perception of reality, uh, who shortly after gets his own perception of reality shattered by another more ominous figure that I won't spoil. But if you've read Infinite Frontier number zero and number one, you probably know who I'm talking about. We go back to Bones, who realizes that with all this craziness going on, he needs to bring in Agent Chase before things get out of hand, which leads directly into infinite frontier number one so i think this was a, a really solid way to end this little series of secret files and um um you know still excited to see what's to come in infinite frontier oh yeah for sure mm-hmm. um i'm not a big fan of the implementation but the way that the style of the art mm-hmm. worked really good for the book oh yeah uh and okay i've been thinking this since king's batman this dude needs a glam up his tired ass costume is really, really bad. Ugh. And um <laughs> well, a runway mystery character is about to give him his makeover, it sounds like. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that is, what it looks like, and what that means for Psycho Pirate. Hopefully he even gets a better name. That would be great. I assume he won't uh continue being the blundering bad guy that he is today. I liked it. Man. Well, I'd hardly yeah, call him blundering after this issue, but well, yeah, not after this issue. Well, I mean, he, I mean, you know, historically speaking, he's got amazing power. He could do just about, you know, accomplish just about anything, and he always 
messes up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, yeah, man, I like this one. I'm excited for where it's going to go, and it got an 8 out of 10 for me. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I gave this one an 8 out of 10 as well. I love Psycho Pirate. He's one of my favorite. I don't know if you call him a B-list villain, but I kind of would because he's yeah. not really around much. But he's he's up there for my B list, and and mm-hmm. this this has just been interesting, and that that reveal which we will not talk about is just exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad Brandon re- read that review because I would have spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you've already read Infinite Frontier number zero and number yeah, one, like you already know, so it's not like pretty at this point, idea. Yeah, yeah, it's uh should be pretty obvious, but. But the stuff. way they did it, I thought was brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah, really cool. Yeah, this this one was an eight point five for me. Awesome. Heck yeah. All right. Next up, we have the Catwoman Annual Number One, and Rob will tell us all about that. So get us up to speed, man. Great. So we got on writing duties is Rom V with art by Fernando Blanco, Kyle Hotz, and Juan Ferreira, with colors by David Barron and letters from Tom Napolitano. The Catwoman discovers Leo has been attacked by Father Valley. In a rage, she vows to get revenge. Meanwhile, Valley is preparing himself for battle. He reminisces about his origins during this, then he was known as Carl Waziman. As a child, he was saved by Ludovic Valley, the father of Jean-Paul Valley. During this time, the Order of St. Dumas was being spied on by world governments and was at risk of exposure and decimation. The leader of the order ordered the leader of the order of Saint Dumas ordered Ludovic to burn down the forest, which means to kill off the order save a few inner circle members. He is resistant but follows through. When it's Carl's time, Carl resists and escapes Ludovic's punishment by jumping from the tower they were on. He survives and uses the pain he suffered as an awakening to his new persona. Months later, Ludovic finds the mole that exposed the order. But before he can strike, he finds Carl had already killed him. Ludovic reveals he already knew this fact and came with a new identity for Carl to escape the order once and for all. Carl accepts and begins his new life as Carl Valley. Back in the present, the police situation in Alleytown escalates, and during the massive protests, Father Valley detonates a bomb, exploding the church that's all around the citizens. I cannot wait for this final battle they're building up. It's going to be so bloody. Oh man, oh, and God. this this book is just awesome, man. It is holy cow that cover, right? I mean, it didn't really have much to do with the inside, except in like the loosest of ways. But that backdrop of the shattering stained glass with Nightfall Asriel chained to it. I oh, just, dude, that was so cool. I just realized Asbats is in the background. <laughs> I, I didn't even catch that until just now. That looks oh my god, that's so much better than I thought. Right, oh, Azrael Batman looks has a great design to him. Yeah, and Father Valley's backstory is the adopted brother of Jean Paul Valley. That's cool as shit. Both it sent is. away. Mm. I mean, it's funny that they were both sent away from the order to protect them, and then they go out and they're both in a way like the order's best best weapons or whatever you would like to say. You know, best soldiers. Yeah. Um, I guess that plan didn't work out. So uh, it looks like. Valley's dad was the original Azrael. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. It, it, his mm-hmm. costume looks cooler, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like that costume a lot. 
But it's very similar to the one John Paul Valley wore, I think. It, it's very similar. Yeah. It's just got some color changes. But mm-hmm. uh, we, we had suspicions of him being related to Azrael when he first showed up. And uh, knowing who this cat is, uh, pun completely intended, it makes me want to read about him even more. Oh, yeah. Uh, the art was fantastic. Cover to cover, man. Backgrounds, light, palette. Everything was spot on. Some of the faces were a bit off, including the wolves in a panel or two. All in all, though, man, this definitely takes away an 8.75 out of 10 for me. Oh, yeah. I, I can even add on the lettering I thought was fantastic. The, the sound effects they do, there's a bit at the end where a sword drops and in the shadow is the clang sound. I, it was just blew me away. I loved it. Mm. And this was an 8 out of 10 for me. Everything was good. Yeah, no, this issue is like really cool as hell. And like just a, an awesome backstory for Father Valley, who's definitely been yeah. a character that I've wanted to know more about. So I gave this one an 8 out of 10 too. Awesome artwork, cool story, just really... Really doing some great stuff in the world of Catwoman and uh, and beyond. But next, we'll be moving on to Teen Titans Academy Yearbook Number One. This is technically our other annual for this week, but it's a bit different. So I'll let Josh tell us uh, what to expect from this one, or, or rather, what we got. All right. So the the first thing that I want to mention about this book is the very first page. It's supposed to mimic the first page of a yearbook, and that's exactly what it does. It looks like the first page of any yearbook, you know, that has superheroes in it. But I wanted to point out something that it brings up, that the, the show choir's original production of the Judas Contract on Ice. I, th- <laughs> I thought that shit was hilarious, man. That's awesome. Um, so this is pretty much an anthology an anthology issue so they'll be quick to fit them all in every story is written by tim sheridan and every lettering is rob lee i'll list the artists as the stories come in class president the first one art is brought to us by bernard chang and marcelo mialo this is the story about stitch uh stitch is an animated ragdoll they have feelings dreams emotions but stitch can't have actual dreams or even eat it's uh, Stitch is made of basically 100% pure cotton <laughs> or some kind of poly blend. In any case, <laughs> uh, this is a story about how Stitch never felt like they fit in. And through the story, they realize that it's actually being different that helps them fit in with all the other students at the Titans Academy. And I didn't know this, but apparently the sorcerer that made Stitch is none other than Dr. Fate. Now, this seems out of character for Khalid, but the way he speaks about faith, that simply cannot be Ken. So, I can't figure out which Dr. Faith, Faith, Jesus, I can't figure out which Dr. Faith this is supposed to be. I like this character. I thought the art was great all the way through, but I wasn't sure. Could you guys figure out what Dr. Faith that was supposed to be? I figured it was just... Nabu took over. Yeah, or, or Kent maybe. I don't know. I've never really isn't Kent more of like science and then Nabu. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really. I don't remember too well, but I. Th- I mean, I guess it's. I don't know. I wasn't sure. Like, I just it it kind of looked more like the the uh, Kent Nelson Doctor Fate costume because the Colin sort of costume did. is a bit different. So yeah. 
Well, all right. Next up is five more minutes with art from Marco Santucci and Michael Detea. This is such a minor quick story about Raven enjoying a little time with Garfield, doing her best to push past the vision that she's had of a merged beast boy and cyborg, like we saw in Future State. That's pretty much the whole story, but it does serve to remind us that this is going to happen. The coloring in this book is perfect. I love it so much. Most of the inks are great, but there are some misses for me, and I love a little love time between Beast Boy and Raven. Um, what do you guys think about the almost certainty that they're going to be merging Beast Boy and Cyborg? How do you feel about that? I think it's, it's interesting of an idea, but I'm, I'm not thrilled about it because I love both characters by themselves. Yeah, I think it's pretty yeah. dumb. Yeah, like, my brother is like raging. If if you even bring it up, he's raging about it. Go back oh, and listen yeah. to some episodes when we were covering Future State. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, oh, was he yeah. upset? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's about it for that story. I thought it was a pretty good one. Again, the art was really good. The next story is Mothers, Brothers, Kittens, and Cake. And, yeah, that is a weird title, but it does fit the story. This time, the art is handled by Darko La Fuente and Miguel Muerto. Matt Price is the focus of this one, and it seems as though he's a loner because that's what he knows. It comes out that he doesn't really have a family. It starts out with Matt sitting at practice and hearing Tubi yell from very far away for help, uh, you know, with his super hearing. Price flies there and finds a barn on fire. Tubi says Mama needs to get out, and there's some exchanges made about uh, what kind of Superboy is he <laughs> because he doesn't have ice breath, and he's like, for the last time, I'm not a Superboy. But uh, he, uh, you know, Matt and Tubi does save the day. Turns out Mama is a cat, and she's got kittens. They save those. And then after hearing about him growing up alone and not really having family, Tubi's family says now they are Matt's family too. The art in this one is a simpler form of animation. One I would usually say is for kids, but, well, this is for Titans. So, I mean, that works for me. And they do have a kid following, even though I wouldn't say that this particular book was for them. I can appreciate this art style. And truthfully... If we're going to have to see that kind of art style frequently, I wish young Diana was drawn like this. That would mm-hmm. that would make young Diana a little more palatable. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, the next story is Extrication, and its art team is made up from Rafa Sandoval, Jordi Tarragona, and Alex Sinclair. They're always working together and making good art. Sent mostly nine years ago, Red X busts up a, I'm not even sure what to call it, like kids being sold to be groomed as soldiers for black mask. I mean, te- te- like, uh, I-, I guess like a revolutionary or guerrilla slavery or something along those lines. Yeah, just child trafficking, I guess. Child trafficking, yeah. there you go. Child trafficking with assault rifles. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Red X does just that, and as the fight breaks out, he yells for everyone to run. One of the kids does not. The kid outright asks him if he's Robin, but he says no, he's the one who took the mask and made it real. Later, we see that he's offering the kid the Red X mask right before that kid heads into Titan's Academy. And that kid's name is 
We have no fucking clue. <laughs> no one's identity is revealed at all. But I, f- I think it's fairly safe to say that the Red X is somebody with no powers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any any ideas come to mind? Who are some not powered members of Teen Titans that are young enough to be that kid? Oh. I guess they're all about the right age. Yeah. Yeah. Do we even know what city this was? That might make a difference. I'm going to assume it's right there where Titans is or whatever, but I mean, Mm. they're from all over the place, so I don't think that matters. Well, this black mask, I just kind of assumed it was Gotham. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. I don't know. They did a really good job of even hiding the gender with shaving the head and having them so young that it's, it's hard to tell. Mm. so that that even that just raises more mystery to it yeah and no, I, I have no idea they're getting really good at keeping this shit a secret man yeah. <laughs> they i gotta as far as like mysteries go and cliffhangers dc has definitely amped it up a little bit they've oh, yeah. got me interested for sure but now they've instead of just giving us one red x to think about they've given us two to mister to, to have a mystery about it like right um but yeah, so this was another great art performance. Everything looks great. And Tim Sheridan did really well with this annual, or I mean yearbook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I had fun with it, even if most of it was completely unnecessary. We know Price is a decent dude. That's important. Stitch just wants friends and is a good person. We know that now, so that's important. Those are two people that I would take off the list, mostly because Price has superpowers. But that's about it, other than the backstory for a character that we don't know yet. So I had to give this a 7.75. Fun times relates to the big picture, but it's, you know, it's, and it's really nice to look at, but it's still not something that is a must read. If I had tied in more, I, this, this definitely would have got a higher score. Yeah. This, yeah. this was a 7 out of 10 for me. It, it was enjoyable at times, but yeah, it was. It was good to see some individual character stories, but I just felt like timing-wise it might have been a weird book because we're only, what, four or five issues into TTA and mm-hmm. we barely even scratched the surface of the whole year. <laughs> yeah, it feels yeah, like it a, sounds like yeah, the perfect time for an annual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, a, a few things I'm noticing, though, that I just want to bring up throughout the book. Mad Price, I, I can totally believe he's not a Kryptonian because he's from Daxam. He's a Daxamite. Yeah, you that's possible. So? Oh, I, I definitely think so. He might even be related to Sodom Yat. Oh, Who knows? damn. Because that's, no that's like the only other, as far as I remember, the only other race in the DC universe that shares the same powers as Kryptonians. Yeah. But, and well, the I only thing is... Kryptonians right now. Yeah, the only thing is Daxamites have that, um, that lead problem, so... yeah. That that would be my only question is that like how Matt is basically able to operate without you know having like the the lead problem. That's very true. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm right there with you, Rob. I um I gave this one a seven out of ten too. You know, it's it's fun, it's cute. I, I like the idea of it. Um, you know, the Teen Titans yearbook and focusing on characters, especially these newer characters. Like we can kind of flesh them out a little more. Um, but you know, it's not really essential or anything. I can't say is it's something that you need to pick up. It's just kind of like, 
you know, if you're really interested in these characters and you want to learn more, you could probably pick it up. But if you're looking to advance the story of Red X or anything else, you probably don't really need to read this. Yeah. But oh, it does look very that, nice. Yeah. Too, oh, it looks really good. We know it's two generations away from Nightwing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now there was, in one That's of like the <laughs> the between pages, if you guys noticed, there was a thing. Uh, it was just like an advertisement they say for a mobile app for All Star Squadron coming fall 2021. I think that's a advertisement for maybe a, a book or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. That'd be really cool. I wonder yeah. if that's like a tip. When did it say it was coming? At uh, fall 2021. All Star Squadron. Yeah, still got time, so it's definitely possible. Yeah. They just they they've been keeping a pretty tight lid on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be a really weird place to reveal it, but I think <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's like an Easter egg. It's not really a reveal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we move on to our last book for this week? Yeah, we're already uh, at the last book. You're on the last book. So yep. Short week. Short week, but. Closing out this uh, short week of comics, we have our Green Arrow 80th anniversary 100-page super spectacular special that is so big and massive that not a single person can break it down by his or himself. So we have to work together to do it, and uh, and try we will. So uh, let's get started. So. How we're going to try and approach this is basically go through each story, give a quick little summary, you know, not spend too much time, because uh, if we did, we'd be here all day, and there are 12 stories, uh, but... Yeah, 12. Um, expect the that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll give our final score at the end, kind of a QM score for all the stories. We're not going to rank them individually and give uh, brief thoughts for, for each story, so... Uh, to kick it off, we'll be starting with The Disappearing Bandit from Mariko Tamaki with art from Javier, art and colors from Javier Rodriguez and letters from And World Design. Uh, so to sum it up pretty quickly, this is essentially a great tribute to the Golden Age Green Arrow stories as it follows Green Arrow and Speedy hunting down a mysterious new villain in Star City known as The Disappearing Bandit. They chase him throughout the issue, first at a bank, and then later at a separate opportunity before using some different arrows to trick the bandit and eventually capture him. The bandit is able to grab one of Green Arrow's arrows in the hopes that he can use it to parlay his way out of prison uh, by selling it to another mob boss who will be able to use it to find Green Arrow, only to find out that the arrow has completely disappeared uh, and uh, I, I mean, as as a start off to the as the start off to the special, I thought this was a really great tribute to the old Green Arrow stories. I know those can seem a little corny, but I, I happen to love them. Like I, I love all versions of Green Arrow, even the Golden Age and Silver Age versions, as corny as they can be. Um, and I thought it captured the voice really well, and the art was beautiful. Had some really great layouts, especially on that first page. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I really dug it. it. I can't stand when writers 
have people say chum. Ugh, I love chum. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Screw you. Batman it's says a, chum. It's like golden age. Thing. Batman says it, it, it is a real golden age thing. Yeah. Right? I get that. But for, okay, that's where everybody else left it, right? Green Arrow still says that shit once in a while. Why? <laughs> Nobody <cute>. says chum. <laughs> I mean, unless they're talking. About I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start calling my friends Chum just because of that. <laughs> there you go. Hello, Chum. Yeah. There you go. You're gonna. Are you gonna adopt a British accent too? I should. You totally should. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I had someone say the same thing about sport, and for like three months, I just went around calling everyone sport. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. Yeah. That's so. Yeah, this 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 was a very fun story. I thought the the art was really wild at first. Like that first page, you don't know where to look, but mm-hmm. the deeper into it you get, like I appreciated it more, and it really brought up that golden age style. Yeah, and I'm I don't know about you guys, but I'm very quickly becoming a huge fan of Eriko Tamaki. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I kind of really only read her stuff like in the graphic novel capacity originally. Um, but she's, she's doing some really great stuff at DC. Now, see, I her Wonder Woman run. Oh yeah, was kind of filler. Was, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, life that bad. But yeah. <laughs> I that was where I got introduced to her at. Now, mm. when I was reading that, that's when she released a tweet. Right when she started on that, that she said. Uh, in response to a rating, don't get, don't even get me out of bed for anything less than an eight. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, where does this chick get off saying something <laughs> like that? Because that was all that I had read. Mm-hmm. Oh man! Uh, ever since I, ever since she shifted gears from Wonder Woman and has taken over from Future State and done all kinds of titles, Mariko Tamaki is the bomb. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that 100%. Now, as far as this one goes, man, uh, I mean, I love the campy Batman TV show. Can't take that away from it. It's where it is. And I appreciate the Golden Age comics, but I can't go back and read them right now. About the only ones that I can is when, uh, you know, towards the JSA-type adventures and stuff. But the original character, Solo, I can't even read those anymore. Oof, really? I'm gonna yeah a lot of people are gonna say dude oh wow yeah no I was actually gonna say I was like I, I went back in because um, DC's been doing a really great job of collecting some of that old stuff and they have one of the it's it's I think it's just called like the Superman the Golden Age like um, I don't know if it's the omnibus it's like the big trade paperback that they put out um, and I was I was like you I was not expecting much but it, it holds up surprisingly well at least, really? Yeah, yeah. The the original action comic stuff, it's like pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty grounded, um, right. and pretty, pretty interesting. I think. I mean, you know, it's it's going to have a bit dated dialogue, but that's part well, of the yeah. course for something from eighty years ago. But I um, completely understand that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how would you guys feel about a Green Arrow cartoon? But in this style, but like really up the campiness, uh-huh. and, like, and make it like 
like that Hanna Barbera revitalization they did in the mid two thousands, you know, like Harvey Birdman Attorney at Law kind of thing. Yeah, I was yes. I was thinking like uh, my maybe like Brave and the Bold or something. Yeah, oh something yeah. like hey. that, but like more adult. Yeah. Have you ever? Have you ever? Have you guys watched Bird Girl yet? Bird? No, I haven't. I don't even know what that I is. I just yeah, I just don't know I don't is. even know idea you know, what that is. You know who Harvey uh, uh, attorney uh, Birdman attorney at law is, right? Yeah, yeah. This is his daughter. Oh shit! Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know that existed. No. Yep, you the are missing reason? out if you have not watched it. Oh god, I gotta find it tonight. Mm. All right, next up we have Punching Evil. And uh, Rob, tell us all about this one. Will do. This is from Tom Taylor, art by Nicholas Scott, colors from Annette Kwok, and letters from Clayton Cowles. So Dinah has set Oliver up with some boxing lessons he does not think he needs. Ted Grant is his teacher, <laughs> and it's a rough lesson. Uh-huh. The weeks go on, and Ollie is slowly taking the punishment better but he still believes he doesn't need the lessons because he's better at a distance. Hearing this, Ted snaps all of Ollie's arrows. Minutes later, Yellow Wasp blasts his way in and takes down Ted. Ollie's seeing not being able to... Wow. Hang on, I added a word I shouldn't have. Okay. Ollie not being able to fight due to Yellow Wasp flying around, he grabs a broken arrow and stabs a boxing glove to the end of it and lets it fly right to Yellow Wasp's face. Ted wakes up just in time to see the last blow and now sees the benefit in fighting from a distance. I love the boxing glove era. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This, this reminded me of a time when Arrow was on and good <laughs> and there was a big talk on the subreddit for a long time about trick arrows and boxing glove arrow was one of the biggest things talked about and back then the writers and the EPs they paid attention to people online and they, mm. they listened to the fans and they had like an episode with Ted Grant there and Oliver like stabbed a boxing glove and like shot it and it was fucking brilliant <laughs> and this this was just like it um, it's so much fun yeah this was a this is a super cool story great art and um like, I mean, you know, I, I didn't read too much of Injustice, but from what I remember, Tom Taylor really nailed Green Arrow. Oh, and so, like, he he's, I think everyone's kind of always been wanting him to do something with Green Arrow. And I feel like this was a tease, because I totally would have taken, like, an entire issue of this, because it was great. Like, oh, just one focused on the, you know, Silver Age, Red Gloves, Green Arrow, training with Ted Grant, and... Maybe meets up with the JLA, uh, but yeah, it was it was just awesome. So I, I I definitely dug it. Hell yeah, I want I I wanted Taylor for the longest time to do a Nightwing book and excuse me a Nightwing book and a Green Arrow book. I'm I'm halfway there, man. I'm mm-hmm. halfway there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At uh, this, it's the story of the boxing glove arrow. I think everybody kind of has a soft spot for that particular arrow. Mm. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with your inner child, man. Oh, yeah. But it's uh, a lot of fun for as quick as this is. The voices are great for everybody, except, again, I cringe every time any one of them talk like an old English gentleman. Uh, but I get used to it, though, so fun times with this one. Art from Scott is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I uh, mm-hmm. I have been 
I rated each and end, every single one of these stories so I could figure out how to tally up my final score. I got okay. about halfway through. So if I accidentally slip a score in there, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one we've got Who Watches the Watchtower? Josh, take it away. Written by Stephanie Phillips with art from Chris Moneyam and Mike Spicer with lettering from Tom Napolitano. This is a quick one about Green Arrow being pissed off that he's being put on <laughs> babysitter duty guarding the watchtower while the rest of the team gets to go out and do a mission in space. He's kind of throwing a temper tantrum, which, again, I mean, that's kind of Green Arrow. As much as he complains he does stay at the base... Out of nowhere, aliens show up. Lots of them. Ali has no problem defeating them or their giant boss, but he does lose the Zero in the process, using some kind of cosmic one instead. Ali acts all smug and says that things were boring when the team gets back and he's questioned if something happened by Superman, who notices a scorch mark on the wall. You guys think he's being smug here? He's being very smug. <laughs> okay, here's here's my thing, because that was my initial impression, too. But what if he's not being smug? Right before the aliens appear, Ali pushes a button and says, what, did this, what does this do? Or something to that effect. It's possible that he let those things out of a cage. Then he wouldn't be smug. He'd be nervous as hell. Possibly. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think it was... I, yeah, I think it was just like accidentally activated something and like he was able to take it out and have his own fun adventure and he's being smug about it because he's trying to act like nothing happened because that's what GA does regardless this is the green arrow that I do like to read right here yeah. Phillips can write me some Holly uh, anytime I'd like to see her on a full arc man I whoop, see almost gave a score <laughs> <laughs> And, and Chris Mooneyham is great, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I only ever saw him do um, one creator-owned book from, like, Boom that I don't remember, and um, Nightwing. And, I, and it was during, like, the Rick Grayson stuff. Uh, well, he yeah. did a little bit of Nightwing before that, but I always felt like he was so wasted on that book because he's just such a great artist. And, like, I hope, they, I hope they keep him doing some more Green Arrow stuff because this looked great. But... Yeah, it was also really fun. I'm I'm with Josh. Like, this is the Green Arrow I love. You know, he's mouthing off. He's complaining. He's fighting with Hawkman. But at the end of the day, he can get the job done and done well. And of course, he's smug as hell about it because that's who Green Arrow is. Like, he's 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 someone who, when the chips are down, he can do the job. But he'll he'll definitely rant about it and and let you get an ear earful of it. All right. So if my brother, my whoops. So my little brother, I just smacked my head <laughs> all over hell and back. Uh, he he has this argument against uh, against uh, Batman being better than Green Arrow, and he said that's why Green Arrow has such a bad fucking attitude. It's because everybody looks up to Batman, listens to Batman, follows Batman, but Green Arrow can do everything Batman does, and all it takes him is a bow and arrow. Yeah, well, except I'd say strategize because well, right. I mean, for as much as I love Ollie, like I'm not gonna sit here and pretend he's the smartest guy in the room. But oh no, no he's no, not. Yeah, 
<laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, fight wise, Ollie's up there with the best of them, I think. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah. We, I, I don't think we were talking manhunter abilities here. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no. Oh, Rob, did you, uh, did you share? Yeah, I, was, I didn't have much to say, but yeah, I, I love this, and it's the art style was fantastic. It was just a fun story. Mm. It's, it's a side of Green Arrow that I think was, was a fan favorite, and definitely brought the character up really well in that era. And yeah. the story really reflects it, I think. Very cool. All right, next up we have just the usual sort of stuff brought to us by the legendary Mike Grell, who is both writer and artist. Colors from Loveland, Kinzierski, oh my god, and letters <laughs> from Travis Lanham. Uh, this story follows Ollie teaming up with Shadow to take down some. Uh, smugglers who are smuggling in what he believes to be some product from North Korea to act as some insurgency tools. Ollie and Shadow share, I guess, quips, but also some advice on what they believe can be done in Star City and, you know, all this other stuff about responsibility and that whole thing. And basically, it's, it's just kind of a story that shows how well they work together in this specific era. Um, I wish that Shadow was back with the multiverse being rebo- rebooted and Auntie Meryl. Please. Yeah, well, I think she is back, but yeah, not I probably not connected to Team Meryl. I don't know what she's doing right now. She but, should be. Yeah. Uh, although, I don't know. I, I always felt like it was a, a little awkward when she was like, you know, around too much because she and Ollie obviously have some, um, shall we say, erotic history and that would make Sexual it a little bit yeah a little bit Dude, awkward it, with it's Dinah. 2021 the <laughs> of the era of the thruple oh god <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean always 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 been a swinger but i don't know if he's ready to swing that hard just yet or maybe he is i don't know to if see. Dinah would i don't know if oh, he's got yeah. enough balls to bring it up to <laughs> yeah but um <laughs> i i just i had one major point which was just i mean Mike Rail is so awesome. Like, it just <laughs> like it's it's incredible that he's been working in the industry for like thirty years, and his art style is still amazing. Maybe it's just me, but like I, I I'm looking at the double page spread of Arrow and uh, Shadow, both like knocking their bows, and it's just I mean it looks just as good as anything from 1988 or even from Warlord in like 1981. It's it's amazing how much consistency this guy has after working in the industry for so long. But I mean, uh, think about it. He's done it for 30 years, and he's never tried to step outside the box. Yeah. He's, but he's got his particular style, mm. and he sticks with it. And that's that's going to end up being Riley Rosmo, too. <laughs> now, I, yeah, well, I, now, I've seen shit. Don't well me. <laughs> it's going to be Riley Rosmo, too. <laughs> Mike Grell sells a lot. Everybody loves Mike Grell. Um, and like I said, you know, it's it's... I wouldn't call Rosmo a legend, but it'll be along the same lines as, you know, he stuck with his style. Mm. But in any case, uh, I really think I have seen Grell do better. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not his best. It's just, no. I, I I think I think it's it's amazing how it's, even now, it still is, you know, it still has, like, 
what's the word dynamism is that even a word like it still looks dynamic it still looks you know pretty consistent because i mean oh yeah you know, you'll, you'll have sure. yeah you'll, you'll have some oh yeah yeah you'll have some artists that you know were amazing however many years ago and then now it's just like they're kind of phoning it in well, I mean, I don't know about phoning it in. It could be carpal tunnel. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> oh, shit. But, um, I mean, this one was good. And, like, I, you know, if it wasn't obvious, I'm a big fan of Green Arrow and Shadow being on a team together. Uh, give me more of that, man. Yeah. And the coloring. Uh, Grell's coloring was fantastic. It was mm-hmm. it was the, the rest of it that I was kind of, eh, in just a few places. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Th- this is a guy that might know Green Arrow maybe better than anyone. There's a couple of people I could think of that probably would, but this this is a fun story. I, another great era from mm-hmm. Green Arrow. It, that's what I'm loving about this book the most, I think. It's just going through the eras and seeing all the memories of Green Arrow that you might have forgotten about, but some you definitely wouldn't have because they were so iconic. Yeah, I was actually a point I was going to make at the end, which was just like, I think this book did a really great job of doing exactly what you just said, honoring almost every single era of Green Arrow. And we'll see that more as we get through it, but it's almost like each story here... Oh, could, this, this book, man. Yeah, each story here could comfortably fit in any era of Green Arrow without any problems or hitches. Um, it's just yeah, that's right. it's rare that you get something like that. But uh, next up, we have the arrow and the song. Rob, take it away, my man. Uh, first, let me add on to what you just said. We didn't Ooh. see this is not the first 80th anniversary issue that we've had, right? Oh no, no, we've had right. plenty, right? And not a damn one of them has pulled it off quite as good as this. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, I guess we should save our our full thoughts for the end. But I I agree. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah for I sure. think I think in terms of like. Like Rob honoring said, character. Yeah. yeah, honoring the character in every iteration, like, it yep. just, it did a great job. Fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, Arrow in the song. Rob, take it away. Right. I, I, sounded, I sounded like a like a stage announcer for a second. <laughs> Arrow in the song. Arrow in the song. Take it away. <laughs> Everyone, take your seats. Uh, so this one is from Ram V writing featuring a poem from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow yes mm. this beautiful was, poem this was the very first poem that I ever memorized oh yeah, yeah no this no is shit. like every every like sophomore year high school's poem project or something yeah <laughs> brilliant that was beautiful uh, alright so art is from Christopher Mitten colors by Ivan Placencia and letters from Aditya Bidikar so through the story, we go through a brief rundown of Ollie's origin as Green Arrow, to a few moments shared with Dinah, and finally to their shared home. Ollie then asks Dinah to marry him, but she jokingly says no. Getting deeper into this, she explains that they've been together longer than some marriages anyway, and they give each other everything they need, except one thing. We then see a little ways into the future, where Ollie and Dinah are camping with a group of kids, and one of them shoots Ollie in the head with a toy arrow, and he just laughs. Together, mm. they are happy. Whether that one of them may be one of their kids, I don't know, but it certainly seemed like that's what they were alluding to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I, this this wonderful poem, great story, and honestly, I, I'm probably going to bring up the Arrow TV show a lot, but Dinah and Ollie <laughs> oh, belong together. Do you <laughs> hear that, Mark Guggenheim? Ooh, belong together. I know. Well, I don't even know. Yeah, Yell at Greg like... Berlani. 
Oh, he's finish. the one that gets all that sappy shit. Yeah, that that whole team just oh, gross. <laughs> well, Guggenheim was was executive producing. He was show running during the whole time when they killed off Dinah Lance. Oh yeah, he's that was, that was, the report says that was his idea. Ugh. Yeah, that was Grr. a dark time. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a, a beautiful story. The art I thought was really good. The colors were nice. Mm. Yeah, this one actually when I first read it. Um, I, I was actually kind of disappointed. I didn't really like it at first. It just, it kind of, I felt like it kind of went over my head and I wasn't really sure where it was trying to go. But I, I went back and I reread it. Um, and I think that was really for me when it clicked, when I really started to pick up on the message of, you know, the flight of the arrow and everything and tying into the uh, Longfellow poem. So I think, I think if you're like me and you read it at first and you're kind of like, what? What's going on? I, I definitely say give it another shot because it, it it really is a beautiful beautiful little story. It it, it really is, man, and it, I, f- I feel like it's 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 pretty much just about like Oliver is the bow and arrow, and he's in love with that uh, you know Dinah, mm-hmm. and um, you know I mean we all talked about how pretty it was, even if it takes two two read throughs. So let me just shout that out real quick. I shot an arrow into the air. It fell to earth. I knew not where. For so swiftly it flew, the sight could not follow in its flight. I breathed a song into the air. It fell to earth. I knew not where. For the for who has sight so keen and strong that it can follow the flight of a song? Long, long afterward, in an oak, I found the arrow still unbroke. And the song from beginning to end, I found again in the heart of a friend. I realize we're doing poetry hour. Should I start snapping? <laughs> you start snapping. No, I don't do smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I do not Deep do spoken bro. word. <laughs> I have listened to it. It was it was my f- favorite poem for a long time because it was my, the first poem I ever mm. remembered. But no, I'm not about to uh, light up a clove cigarette. <laughs> this was beautiful, though, man. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we'll be going to one, and uh, I, I, I just want to say off the bat, this, uh, this was uh, probably, I think, my favorite story, which might seem surprising, but um, it, was, it was definitely a surprisingly enjoyable one. So, Josh, take it away, my man. All right. This is one written by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Uh-huh. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wish. <laughs> uh, I, I've been waiting this whole review to do that. Oh, my God. He had it in his back pocket. <laughs> Written by Brandon Thomas with art from Jorge Corona and Matthias Lopez and Steve Wands on lettering. This is Connor Hawk, and he has taken over for his father in, in Star City after Green Arrow had sacrificed himself to save the world. This is just following him through taking down one of the terrorists operating in the city. He's a really big one, physically, that is. And uh, Hawk has just one arrow left. Throughout the story, he's comparing himself to his dad. And in this final situation, he says that he knows his dad can do this, but can he? Using a rebounding, rebounding arrow, the last one in his quiver, he takes down the big guy little by little, picking him apart. So, yeah. He is as good as his dad. So, hell yeah. Love me some Connor. Love me some art. beautiful art. This 
This mm-hmm. for a quick little cool ass Connor Hawk story. This was badass, man. Yeah, yeah. I would have taken a whole issue with this one too. It's just like great team, great art, and like I thought it was a killer ending too. Yeah, oh, yeah. it would have made a good one shot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the the action I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. All of it was really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It really was. It was not my favorite story. It was definitely up there for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was in my top four. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. This one just, it really worked for me. Like, I was, I started reading it, and it was like, it just, I don't know. I was just sucked in, and I was like, oh, man. Like, I I got to the end, and I was, like, surprised how how fast I got there, which is a good sign, uh, because I was really into it, so... Anyway, next up we have Green Man and Autumn Sun. Rob, take the stage. Gladly. This is from Devin Grayson Writing with Art and Colors by Max Fiumara and Letters from Ariana Maher. The Leon Harper can't sleep. The one thing that her babysitter Oliver tells Roy is the story of the Green Man and Autumn Sun. This story is a look through Roy's life, being adopted by Oliver and training to become Speedy. We see the darker times of his drug use and how he got help and came back into the light as Speedy once again. Roy gets home from his mission just in time to finish the story. He hugs Leon and admits that she's smarter than him. A fact we can see with her perspective on certain events and the good she can find in them, pointing out the love and respect Roy and Ollie have for each other. At the end is a paragraph about the storytelling tradition of the Navajo people, of which Roy Harbor is one. I also implore you all to take the time to learn the stories of your country's native tribes. They have great things to tell, and they deserve our respect. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely. Especially during this time. There, mm-hmm. there's, that, yeah. And that's I, not just the United States, like so many people ignorantly believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the First Nations up in Canada, the Ojibwes, all of them were, were drastically, drastically... Yeah, I mean, it was literally genocide, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so t- take a second, peek into that. Absolutely. Um, damn, this was so good. Yeah, it for sure. Heavily to his Navajo heritage, and I thought yeah. that was cool. But the premise is just showing, this is a, a, a book about Roy not being a dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or not being lost. Uh, right, not being lost, not yeah. having some personal issues, but setting a good example for his kid, you know, and... This was awesome. This was easily my second favorite story mm-hmm. in this book. Yeah, no, this was this was definitely my second favorite story after one. Um, and uh, I love I love some Roy Harper content, especially when he's being a good oh, yeah. father. And uh, I I'd never been the biggest fan of Max Fimara, um, but I thought he really did a great job here. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I think for, for me, sure. it's like, just the, the think, eyes. Yeah, sometimes his eyes and facial proportions could could throw him. Like, he did a, a Black Hammer book with um, Dr. Star, and, like, most of the anatomy was fine, but sometimes you look at the faces and they look like they're 87. Um, but, right. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it's, it seemed to work really well here. Yeah, it did. It did. I, I liked it. And I would take this as a one-shot, too, for sure. Yeah. yeah I, all of these stories, like, could have worked as their own, you know, like, small little one-and-done one-shot stories outside of an anthology. Which is, I think that's good, because it means they have kind of a, a great list of people that could easily, well, it's the ones that haven't already written Green Arrow, but a great list of people that could 
easily right for Green Arrow. But anyway, oh, sorry. What were you going to say? I was just agreeing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but next up we have Star City Star. This is a, another writer-artist story brought to us by Phil Hester with inks from Andy Parks, colors from Trish Mulville, letters from Clem Robbins. Uh, this story is, in essence, a tale of Green Arrow attempting to rescue a girl who can, I think, like give off psychic projections or something like that, but in doing so... Uh, she really digs into Ollie's brain and digs out all these memories of characters from the 2000s Green Arrow era that were particularly important to Ollie in moments of his life. Yeah. Again, except Automatopoeia, he was just kind of a villain that he dealt with that one time. Uh, but we see him deal with Count Vertigo, with Green Lantern, with Dinah, Connor, and Roy all sporting their 2000s outfits. And finally, towards the end... A confrontation with someone who is deeply personal to Ollie, the ever-forgotten Speedy of the 2000s, Mia Dearden. Um, so yeah, just a, a really solid look through, again, another period of Green Arrow history that is important and uh, I think had a, a great presentation. And I, I know some aren't the biggest fans of Phil Hester, but I, I've always loved this stuff on Green Arrow and I, I think it worked really well here and I think he had a really great emotional story, so I, I dug it definitely. And you you know I'm not a Phil Hester fan, but <laughs> I I have to agree this looked good, man. Yeah. Um. Other than that, though, I was like, what What the hell? What the hell? Just what is going on? <laughs> Am I supposed to know who this is? What the shit? And you know, I mean, so I still I walked away confused as hell, but uh-huh. it looked good in the way that you know I thought it was just like tipping its hat toward the the. Uh, basically green arrows extended family and the things that he's been through and that yeah but uh, i thought it was kind of a weird way to do it yeah i think it's it's a story that like it really needs some context because if you're not familiar with that era and that's i mean like i like the mike grill story as well but that's definitely kind of a problem i could see that one having too where it's like if you don't know its story would seem really weird because you're just like, who are all these people? What? What? But if you do, I would say, that's why I'm like, it's a great tribute to that era because if you're familiar with it, it definitely kind of works. But I can see if you're not you know, too familiar, it can be a little confusing. I still don't know who the hell Star is, but yet. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think that's a yeah. new character. Yeah. Yeah. It's just but. odd. But anyway, I mean, it, it was it was good, and like I said, it, it, you know, if I'm saying Phil Hester looks uh-huh. good, then damn it, it looks good. Yeah, <laughs> I I also love Phil Hester's art. It's cartoony, but in a very good way. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's that's probably what I like most about it. Like you get cartoony art, but this one takes it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fantastic story. I I kind of miss this era of Green Arrow. Yeah. Most maybe i would love to see especially with this character i'd love to see more yeah i hope so era of green arrow yeah that would be cool to bring back yeah well i mean really just you know poor mia dearden no one knows where she is if she even exists anymore which is kind of sad but if roy came back then mia should come back i think so the end of the story actually i'll take it a step further if connor can come back mia can definitely come back there you go exactly Um, but Raise a Black Lantern now. Yeah, yeah, they but Connor came back. Connor's not a Black Lantern. 
not yeah, well, bring him back himself. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think Mia was bring was, her back. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think Mia oh, was. Hey. I don't think Mia was dead. I just like oh. literally, she was just wiped from continuity. So whether she exists anymore is anyone's guess. But ah, Felicia. we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but next up, we have Happy Anniversary. Uh, Rob, you're up again. All right. This one is from Vita Ayala with art by Laura Braga, colors from Adriana Lucas, and letters by Becca Carey. It's Ollie and Dinah's anniversary, and for the occasion, Ollie prepared a little surprise for her. As he leaves to go get cheese for their dinner, Dinah sees a note he left telling her to come outside and be ready for action. She looks outside to see Ollie being taken. She assumes this is the surprise and gets ready for combat and fun. She tracks them to a barn, but gets caught in an explosion. As she gets up, she sees Deathstroke holding Ollie hostage. Ollie then reveals that her surprise was tickets to a kung fu movie marathon. This is not it. <laughs> to get- Together, they take down Deathstroke, but he escapes. And they race off to track them down and save the night. This was adorable. This yeah. was really cute. Oh, yeah. The art was great. It's such a fun story. It was. And tell me, I mean, that does seem like the ideal way for arrow and canary to spend their anniversary oh definitely yeah hunting assassins <laughs> yeah. A, a perfectly normal thing to do on your anniversary if no, you're for, a superhero for, yeah obviously yeah. if you are a couple who gets you know who who happen to rock leather and fishnets every <laughs> day yeah that's yeah. that's that's saying something right there yeah you know Chasing down some assassins should be good for you. (laughs) I liked it, and the art was good, man. The coloring was good. Just fine by me. This was a good one. Yeah, yeah, great, great story. Death Strokes dialogue where he just goes, I cannot overstate how much I loathe the both of you. (laughs) That was was funny. That was good. And it looked good. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have The Sympathy of the Woods. And I, I got to admit, I was a little jealous I didn't get to do this one because I was a big fan of the... Before we even get into the story, I just I was a big fan of the Rebirth Green Arrow and seeing that team back together was, uh, was very nostalgic, even though it was only like four years ago. But even still, take it away, Josh. Um, uh, first, let me start by saying that if we could have a Rebirth team come, uh, a team come back together and had to choose it, it would be the Rebirth one <laughs> plus Shadow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and Mia. And Mia, and Mia would be gay yeah. too, yes. But uh, The Sympathy of, of the Woods was written by Benjamin Percy with art from Otto Schmidt and lettering from Blambot's Nate Picos. So there's not really anything of importance that happens on these pages but if very poetically and that seems to be a theme going on in this book mm-hmm. it tells us about how close the arrow family is from this era yeah it does so by describing the way the ecosystem of forest works sharing communicating because the plants all know what's going on around them now that is actually true There's been studies that saw reactive measurements from plants that had their seedlings removed, and another that showed that a tree will direct and share nutrients with only their offspring, even in a setting as dense as a forest where the saplings are all mixed together. Which, by the way, is my complete and total argument against vegetarianism. (laughs) 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 This was drawn and colored so well, man. With one exception, and it has to be an accident, but on the first and last page, 
Ali and Dinah have white hair, and in between it's blonde. Yeah, I assume that was like maybe the, you know, they're trying to like show how it reflects in the sun or something. But yeah, it did look a little, a little weird. It looked, yeah, it looked way paler than 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 the rest of the book. But yeah, I mean, that was like literally the only thing I could come up with in this one. Yeah. <clears throat> I I just appreciate that Percy and Schmidt. I like you said, Brandon, it was only like four years ago, but they never lost the connection they had. Yeah. Nope. This nope, felt they like just the great. next issue in Rebirth. Yeah, that's and again, that was that was the point I made earlier, where like all of these stories, I think especially this one, feel like they could have fit so comfortably in that era. Like if if you had told me that this was, you know, from a I don't know, like like a DC special in 2017, I totally would have believed you because it feels like it could have come from four years ago, and and I don't even mean that in a bad way. That's like the biggest compliment you can give. Because it means that, like Rob said, they are so comfortable with these characters, they can just come back in, tell a story, and it's like they never left. Uh, were they the creative team on the book when it ended? I think the creative team changed like the last 10 issues or something like that. Yeah, it was like alternating artists. So um, I think they had a different one for like the last couple issues. But yeah, ben, uh, Otto Schmidt did a, a good chunk of it. Was that that story didn't end either? They never they they kind of left that on a cliffhanger because the book got canceled. Yeah, well, uh, no that, that, that no yeah Ben Percy actually did end his run, but then they kind of had a revolving door of writers, and then and then the book got canceled before they could resolve like the you know plot with Ollie having the secret box that could take down the Justice League, and I don't even know like they just never answered that because like I said the book got canceled so. Bendis could do event Leviathan, and we all know how that went. Yeah, it would have been great for me if if Ollie just if he opened the box, there was nothing in it, and then it's just like the real Justice League thread is the friends you make along the way. It's you, uh, you're yeah. the person that can take down Justice League. But then the box lit up. Yeah, and it was like right. what, what, <laughs> what <the> <laughs> And we'll never know what it was. We'll never know. Nope. Ain't that a bitch? Yep. Next, we'll move to the (laughs) last Green Arrow story and the penultimate uh, short story in this 80th anniversary special, and that is from Jeff Lemire, with art from Andrea Sorrentino, colors from Jordi Belair, and letters from Rob Lee. This is a story that features an elderly, aged, very grumpy Oliver Queen returning to the island for one final hunt. He's looking for someone, but he's not sure where that person is. Can't seem to find them, even though he's hunting all over the island, until he realizes at the end that everything is a circle. And out of the shadows steps, I think, a young Oliver Queen, who hands the older Ollie the mysterious green arrow from Lemire's New 52 Green Run, which both allows Ollie to, I guess, get his final piece, but also ascend in a way. Uh, in a very spiritual, very hippie story that gives Green Arrow a peace of mind. Um, I thought this was a cool one. I think it, it definitely has a kind of an ambiguous end, and it'll be interesting to see how people interpret it. But uh, my interpretation, at least, was just it's kind of Ollie finding his peace at the end of his life. Like, he's going on a hunt. The hunt ends with him meeting a younger version of himself and just kind of saying, like, it's over for me. Like, I'm done. I'm moving on. And that's why he kind of, I, I don't know, 
lights himself on fire or is on fire or whatever it is and like passes on or something like that and uh yeah it's a a cool one i want a six issue mini of this story right oh yeah from lemire (laughs) i i actually it's so funny that you said that because literally i like i i actually hadn't gotten a chance to read the their Green Arrow run, Lemire and Sorrentino until last year. Because um, I'd started reading Gideon Falls, which is another book that they did. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize they did Green Arrow. And I read it. And in the end of that run, they have they did a, a one-shot that tied into Future's End. And it featured an older version of Oliver Queen, much like this one. And I was uh, like, you know what would be so great? If they had like an Old Man Ollie series. Because they had over at Marvel an Old Man Hawkeye series. I was yeah. like, why don't you just put these two together and just have like, yeah, an old man Green Arrow story. And he's like super grumpy and he's on like one last mission or whatever. And I, I so it's it's good that we're we're both thinking that because I think that would be a a super fun series. It would be a super fun series, but I think it would definitely have to be a cap on it. And let yeah. me tell you why. Um, a six issue is like what I'm hoping for because I don't expect things going my way on this one but uh, i think it would work better if it was a 12 issue like a year-long run in any case i feel like this was green arrow putting himself to bed of his own volition and Mm. it's because even at his old age he'd been hunting for so long he didn't really know how to stop so this was basically him going to the island and to chase away all of his old ghosts. Yeah. So, like you said, find find himself at peace, and him being handed that magic arrow or whatever you call it, basically was like him finding that moment of Zen and saying, "Okay, it's time for me to go now." And mm. he like just zend out. <laughs> zend out. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, send a spirit off in the flames, man. Mm. And I mean, I thought it was done really, really, really well. Oh, yeah. And even if, like, I, I want that, I want that miniseries or that 12 issue run. I want that, even, I, I want that very ending on the last issue. <laughs> I want that to be the end goal. I want to know what happens. I just want to know what happens all the way up to that, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would and, be fantastic. Yeah, it would. For the record, before Rob goes on, I want to give every listener out there a little bit. I know Brandon said penultimate, but just for the record, this is called The Last Green Arrow Story. It is not The Last Green Arrow Story in the book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, technically. Yeah. Yeah, it's... yeah. It's, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that as we move on to our final story in the special. That is Tap, Tap, Tap. Rob, you're the last man on, so I'll let you close us out. All right. Now, what a story to close out on. This is written by Larry O'Neill, the son of the legendary Dennis O'Neill. Right. With art by Jorge Fornes and colors by David Stewart, there is, I would say no lettering, but if there's some there's lettering. no dialogue. No yeah. dialogue. Uh I would go through it, but honestly, I feel everybody should just experience the story themselves. So I will say what we have here is the story of Dennis O'Neill's life, his rise to comics greatness through the years, and the stories he brought us, and it's just beautiful. This, yeah, I read it. It, yeah. it, shows, it shows him writing the comics, it shows him getting to see 
characters he influenced hit the big screen. I mean, yeah, it's cool. It, yeah. it brought tears to my eyes every Te- time I read it. Yeah. It, yeah. Honestly, I, I loved it. Ends with a, a beautiful, beautiful scene of all of the, I guess, characters that he both helped write and reinvent, like Green Arrow, like The Question, like Superman, like Batman, and so many others just kind of sending him off in a way like they're they're there with him in spirit so like rob said it's a very very touching story and uh i'd be surprised if you didn't cry while reading it oh, i fucking did dude yeah i was I'm so sad shitting you i cried like a goddamn baby yeah. i had my wife was sitting there next to me and i'm sitting there tilting because i had my head on i'm sitting there tilting while i got fucking tears rolling down my face <laughs> finally i had to set that son of a bitch down get up and walk away <laughs> i came back in i picked it back up i didn't even get through a goddamn panel and i had to set it back down again <laughs> i had to put it down twice to get through that damn book man mm-hmm. and then i started crying again when holly and i talked about it afterward <laughs> i made her read it i was like i'm sorry man this is fucked up yeah. then denny o'neill was one of my favorite comic creators and i'm sure oh, a yeah. lot of people say that i mean he wasn't just uh just a a great favorite comic creator i mean he was inspirational and in so many different ways touching so many different comics and it was it was (laughs) i don't even this was probably the most i don't even know i i don't think i've ever had something in a comic book evoke quite (laughs) such an emotional response from me Mm -hmm. i mean sure i've been like you know, I've been emotionally affected, but I've I've never made any book. There's never been a comic book that made me cry. <laughs> I mean, that said, I mean, this was Denny O'Neill, his real life, and simply the most touching, heartwarming tribute to anyone ever. Mm-hmm. For me, I have li- I've been reading comics since I was single digits, and I'm 42. <laughs> I have finally seen. The perfectly executed comic story. Wow! Yeah, no, it was uh, like everyone said, an absolutely beautiful story. And uh, I'd encourage listeners who may aren't as familiar with Denny O'Neill to go and check out both his work and his life. He's a monumental titan in the industry. I, I, you could literally spend a day going into everything that he touched. I mean, I, I could give a few highlights here, the ones that. I always think about, I mean, there's so many different books that he wrote, obviously Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Question, Batman, Superman, Justice League of America, and that's just over at DC, he served as an editor at Marvel, was one of the people to bring in Frank Miller, served as the editor over at DC for a while, Uh, was one of the people to bring in that 2000s generation of writers like Devin Grayson and Greg Rucka and Alan Grant and so many people that were so influential to the line for you know 15 years and like I said just an absolute titan and never lost his love of comics I mean was literally like as of the year of his death 2020 was still writing you know stories and anthologies so Mm -hmm. like Rob said just an absolutely legendary figure and uh, it's a great tribute to him but with that being said, what were your final scores for this issue? Uh, like I said, I had to tally them all up, man. Mm-hmm. I had to figure out. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it without doing that. But rounding everything up, or excuse me, adding everything up, 
all of these stories were really good. Even the ones where the art kind of wasn't for me or the schlocky feel of the disappearing bandit. Uh, they were still done so faithfully to the era that they were supposed to represent. Uh, Mariko Tamaki could have very well been uh, uh, an original writer of Green Arrow in, <laughs> in the Golden Age. She she faithfully represented that. This entire book was filled all the way through with fantastic stories. And I, I, I don't know that I've ever said that about an anthology book. I gave this thing a 9.5 out of 10. Wow. A lot of that came from tap, tap, tap. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Rob? Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. Uh, this is also a 9.5 for me. This is a great book to have if you're a Green Arrow fan. Definitely pick this up if you haven't yet. There's so many memories and stories to love. It, it's just fantastic. And such a legendary character. Yeah. Yeah. Here's... Just on Dennis O'Neill, again, like, the rarest comic I have, probably the most expensive comic I own, was from Dennis O'Neill, and that was the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number eighty-five. I think it was maybe it was eighty-six mm-hmm. with that legendary cover of "My Ward is a Junkie." That oh, one. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I picked that up at a Comic Con. It's like, okay. No, oh, I need wow. to get this. <laughs> Lucky dude, yeah. man. Yeah, I Dang. saw it. As, no, I need to get this. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I the only issue that I have from that run because I, I like I couldn't there's there's no way I could afford some of those those older issues they're just they're too, too pricey but I was able to score the um, the first appearance of John Stewart at a con I was able to talk the guy down to like nice. I think twenty five dollars um, oh and, wow yeah wow. which was. <laughs> I, 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 that's the thing about going to cons. You really got to know how to. I'm sure you guys know, but you you really got to know how to haggle. Um, just yeah, to just to get it. Once or twice. But I even had to bring the price down a couple hundred before I could get something I could afford. But yeah, yeah. it's basically like going to the flea market where none of it's junk. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But uh, I love this issue too. Such a great tribute to Green Arrow, and I mean, here's to 80, 80 more years of great Green Arrow stories when they can get him a new solo title. And you know, I think if if there's anything to say about this anthology besides the stories that were all great, it's that Green Arrow desperately needs another book for himself. Please, absolutely, that we can all enjoy forever and ever but i gave this one a nine out of ten i was it was very very satisfied how could you not be now oh, yeah given that we've only got four books this week i i don't think it's fair that we call it a stinker yeah when when, when it's five you know one has to lose out there's there, you know there's one going over the other and i feel justified in that but when there's only four I feel like maybe we shouldn't do that. So should we do our top four this week? Uh, sure, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, mine, number four coming in, is Teen Titans Academy Yearbook. Uh, it lands here only because the other ones are so much better. I didn't mm-hmm. mind this one. It was just, it also, it was ultimately unnecessary. Number three was Infinite Frontier. Dude, let's get nuts and see where this goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And uh, number two was Catwoman. I'm really curious if Ezreal will appear. How will the brothers see each other? Will they be friend or foe? So, I mean, Rom V, I, I'll be I'll be getting some Catwoman for a very long time. Yeah. And number one is Green Arrow, man. The best books are the ones that make you connect with the character, get invested, make you feel something. And I know that this technically isn't a superhero book. It's it's an anthology towards, you know, it's just like we've said a hundred times already, it's dedications, a tribute to who he was through every era of Green Arrow. Uh, but who cares? It, it was It was amazing, man. Yeah, my uh, my top four are pretty much the same as yours. I mean, I had Teen Titans Academy yearbook at four. You know, it's fine issue. Like, it, it's again not essential in any way. It just it's you know it's kind of fun and it, it serves a purpose. At three, I had Catwoman. I'm definitely interested to see where this whole Father Valley, you know, Order of Saint Dumas, all that stuff is going, and I'm I'm really curious to to find out more. Uh, number two, I had the Infinite Frontier Secret Files. Number six, I just thought it was a really strong end um, to this, I guess, you know, little series. Uh, even though it, it will be all collected in one, uh, or I actually no, it already has been collected in yeah, the yeah uh, that came out uh, this week. Yeah, in the in the Infinite Frontier Secret Files one shot, um, which yep. So if you haven't gone out and bought the dollar ninety nine issues as it came out if you do want to get a look at it hold it in your hands you can actually get it for i believe it's 9.99 so you're yeah, saving two dollars yeah. it's kind of weird because there's no transitions yeah that being so, oh my god i i almost forgot about that i was yeah so i guess a lot to go on a little tangent about the infinite frontier secret files physical release so like josh said all six issues from comiXology uh or the you know digital or whatever have been released into one 80 page giant and for as much as i loved these stories each you know week that we got them i have to say that i was incredibly disappointed by dc's collection and presentation of this uh for one it's published in prestige format and yet there are ads littered throughout the entire thing that really sucks there are no transitions between characters so it's i mean again it's this is supposed to be like one kind of cohesive story of um bones reading or bones listening to these tapes and it just it feels so like there are no transitions so you literally just go from like you know a story focusing on roy harper to bam suddenly it's jade and obsidian it's just right like and you could have made that transition with an extra page yeah could have you could have put in a divider page yeah, and then the thing that just, and like, I mean, I, I, this is me just kind of bitching about nothing, but the thing that I just felt was really lazy was, you know, they have the cliffhanger, you know, sentence that says, like, next, you've got this and this, and that's fine for the individual stories, but when you have it in a full collection, it really doesn't do to leave that in there when you literally have the next story right after it. So there's no cliffhanger because you can just follow the story like so having next jade and obsidian it's like why is it still there like there, the there is no second, suspense yeah there, there the is no second suspense. it takes to turn the page you're like what will happen yeah well uh, the weirdest thing is like there is no page turn for that one it's like the, <laughs> the millisecond the millisecond i will take to read jade and obsidian and then 
my brother is a kind shadow. It's like, it just, <laughs> but yeah. So in all honesty, I mean, if you want the physical release, if that's something that you prefer, you can go pick it up. But I honestly think you'd be better served just having it in digital. I think it's presented much better, but that's just my personal opinion. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I had the Infinite Frontier Secret File number six at number two, and of course, Green Arrow 80th Anniversary at number one. Such a great tribute to Green Arrow. Absolutely loved it. And uh, I just, yeah, I just had a great time. But Rob, what about you? Yeah, mine is very similar. I had a TTA yearbook at number four. Yeah, it, it just felt out of place timing-wise. It was an enjoyable book, but mm-hmm. I think it would have been better served maybe later on in the year. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> After an actual yearbook. Yeah, during yeah. Christmas or something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe wait till next year, June, when the people are graduating. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, number three, I had Catwoman Annual. That was just an exciting story. I loved seeing Father Valley's backstory. I I came into the character when I started on here. And I, from what I understand, he was an existing character prior to... By the um, valley, yeah. No, I think we met like him just, for the first just, time here. If I'm like, not mistaken, well, yeah. yeah, during during this run, but I mean, prior to um, Future State, from what I was reading, he was in issues before, like last oh, year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I wasn't reading Catwoman then, so mm-hmm. this this version of of um, with Infinite Frontier Catwoman, this Father Valley is brand new to me, and I think he's a fantastic character. Hmm. And number two, I had Secret Files. Like you guys said, strong finish. It's kind of sucks that we already saw what happens next in Infinite Frontier number one, but it's still exciting. It's still good to see mm-hmm. what happens, and it's got me so so pumped. And number one, of course, Green Arrow 80th Anniversary. You guys said it all. It's just a fantastic book to have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, how about some favorite moments? Uh, I don't. I don't even know. It have to <laughs> Come be. on, I had a one. really easy podcast this week, guys. Yeah, I, I'd pick one from the Green Arrow 80th anniversary, but there's so many great. Moments yeah, there. the one I did pick overall was the one that it, it's the the spoiler that we decided not to mention. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so I will not mention it. But that is definitely probably my favorite moment, just the way it was laid out. It was so simple, but it was so dooming. Mm-hmm. It was okay. great. Runway bad guy, next on Fox. <laughs> <laughs> that would totally be a show on Fox. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to... cops. <laughs> it's hard to pick a, a moment from Green Arrow, but if I really had to, I'd probably go with the splash page from one, which is just Connor firing off arrows, um, and it just it was just drawn so well and presented so well, and such such a cool story. And um, yeah, it's just I think I think I'd have to go with that one, even though they're just it. It's it's really hard to just narrow it down to one because, like Rob said, there's so many great standout moments in this anthology. Uh, I think it may be pretty obvious that mine was tap, tap, tap. Uh-huh. Um, Jesus. I mean, again, dude, I mean, I've had y- y'all have heard me get angry before. Uh-huh. <laughs> at Con- no, no I've, never. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had lots of. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I've had lots of ones, you know, make me happy, crack a smile, laugh a little bit at a joke. But, I mean, to hit me like that, it's never happened. I doubt it's ever going to again. That was mm-hmm. that was beyond amazing, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Wonderful. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the show. We hope you had fun. We definitely did. Come back next week for more DC Comics Talk when we'll be reviewing Suicide Squad number five, Crush and Lobo number two, Crime Syndicate number five, Justice League 64, The Conjuring, The Lover number two, Batman Secret Files, The Signal number one, Action Comics Annual number one, Batman 110, Green Lantern number four, Wonder Girl number two, Swamp Thing number five, and Nice House on the Lake number two we'll be here talking comics as there are oh so many and we hope you'll stop by remember to go to notarobotpodcast.com for all of our episodes and our other shows with all sorts of people with that there's only one way that we say goodbye around here until next time be good to each other and don't be a robot Shut up.